You're listening to the Upper Room Frisco podcast. To learn more about UR Frisco, please visit UpperRoomFrisco.com. Um, so last week, I started talking about some of one of the most foundational doctrines of our faith, and it was um, Jesus coming in the flesh. Do you guys remember what that is called? Yes, the incarnation, not the flower you give to your mom on Mother's Day, but Jesus coming in the flesh, the incarnation. Um, I had so much fun talking about Jesus last week. Um, so we, I want to keep on um, going along in that vein, um, but I wanted to explain why. Like why, why the basics? Because, you know, in, in this kind of atmosphere, in 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 the modern charismatic or prophetic church world, there is a, a push to get like the coolest new, like cutting edge teaching and what's the Lord saying right now. And there is absolutely a place for that. But I felt like the Lord said, go old school, um, not cutting edge, but hopefully double edged sword um, and just go back to some of the ancient things that we can rest our faith on. It's the foundation. He is the foundation of everything that we build our lives on. And so it's really, really important that we just dive so deep in some of these, into some of these essential doctrines of our faith. Um, who's experienced some serious shakings in your life? Like everything that could be shaken has been shaken. Yes, we all have. We've experienced shakings in life, and sometimes those shakings in life knock down everything. But if we have a foundation in Christ, then we will be just fine. He is the only thing that is unshakable. If you're going through a season where uh, career is rough or, or family situation is tough, trust that your foundation is not changing because your foundation is Christ. Those things that are, are shaking might be a, a crooked two-by-four or something like that that's built on the foundation, but it is not your foundation itself, and that's one of the hopes that we have. Um, so why the basics? A couple of biblical reasons for the basics is it keeps us from falling prey to any kind of false doctrine. Another reason for the basics is in Hebrews it says we can't go on to some of the deeper things if we don't have some of these basic things figured out. Um, another reason why I want to hit on some of these basics is because it's what, the, it's what a father would do. You know, this is, the, this is the father's heart to settle some of these core things in our lives so that we can live life to the fullest, so that we can really thrive. So last week was really fun. A few of the, the takeaways from the incarnation, just as a recap, all things were created in him, through him, and for him. Can you say in him, through him, for him? So everything Yahweh, our God, dreamed up can fit in the person of Christ. All the universe, the cosmos, all of it is contained in the person of Christ. And everything that he created, he created through Christ. He was, he is God's paintbrush. He is God's 
uh, like prism through which perfect light comes, gets refracted into our, into our realm, and we can see every color of God's rainbow through Jesus. And all things were created for him. Another thing that was, uh, it's important to recap from last week, is that Jesus is born of the seed of God and the seed of woman, or the egg of Mary, which means that he is and will forever be 100% God and 100% man in one place. Forever. This is like really, really crucial for us to understand this. There is never a 60-40 split. There is never a duality where like his deity was fighting his humanity. Like he was always in his core 100% God and 100% man. This is important because salvation can only come through God, and our reconciliation to God has to come through man. And so he did both. Another cool point from last week is that um, because he is of the seed of God and egg of Mary, the bloodline from Adam was interrupted by perfect blood from God. Because uh, this is a cool medical fact, but no blood passes from mother to embryo. Once an egg is fertilized, the entire circulatory system and blood system is created within that embryo. Which means that any kind of sin from generations past was interrupted by the perfect seed of God. And he has a blood that speaks a better word. Isn't that cool? So he's 100% God, 100% man, and will be so forever. Do you guys remember what that union is called? Oh, y'all weren't listening. <laughs> yes! John Ferguson comes in with hypostatic union. It's a fun little theological term. It'll make you sound really smart when you probably should be humble. Um <laughs> Anybody ever been in one of those debates where, like, I'm going to drop one of those theological terms right now? <laughs> I have. <clears throat> so this week, um, I want to talk about why, some reasons why he came. I want to talk about the doctrine of salvation. So um, Jesus accomplished so many things with his life, death, and resurrection. But I want to kind of boil it down to a few. Here's why Jesus came. In John 17, he wanted us to be as connected to the Father as he is. Jesus wanted, wants us, wanted us to be one with the Father as he is. Also, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, uh, when we put our faith in him, it turns us into new creations. Woo! You are um, no longer just born of your mother and father. In John chapter 1, it says, to those who believed, even those who received him, he gave the right or the power to become sons of God. You're like reborn, not born of the will of man or the will of flesh, but born of God. So whether you felt it or not, you're new. 
Like when you believe that Jesus is who he says he is and is going to do what he says he's going to do, you become a new creation. So Jesus did that because he wanted to reconcile us to friendship and sonship with God. And he came, died, and resurrected to give us his righteousness. So the very way the Father views the Son is the way he views you right now. Let me say that again. The very way the Father views the Son is the way he views you right now. Is this not good news? It's called imputed righteousness. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we would become the righteousness of God in Christ. This, I mean, these truths are like ecstasy to our soul. I mean, there are theologians from hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years ago, even in the dark ages, you can read some of these theologians' writings, and they're talking about being caught up into ecstatic moments, into these trances, just meditating on some of these truths, just like the intoxicating joys of, of salvation, of being his son. Another reason he came, you can read about it in Hebrews 2 and 1 John 3, 8. He came to destroy the works of Satan. Hallelujah. He disarmed every power, every principality, triumphing over them by the cross. He made a public spectacle of them. Basically, like, you know, in Psalm, Psalm 2, it says, you know, the nations rage and all of these rulers plot these crazy things against Yahweh and he sits on high and laughs at them. He's literally, like, ev everything that the, the, the fallenness of man and the, 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 the evil of the, the, you know, these fallen demons and whatnot, everything that, that they can contrive against God, he's like... <coughs> Like, is that the, it's, it's cute that you think that's going to work, guys. <laughs> and he's sitting on high, completely unshaken. And Jesus comes along and shows that same kind of attitude, that all of death was thrown on him. He was tempted in every single way. Every kind of principality launched a war against the incarnate Yahweh named Jesus, and it was as if he was baiting them into doing it. He had so much confidence in who he is in the Father. He, he's like, throw it all on me. I'll take everything. When Jesus says, turn the other cheek, he's not saying, like, just show him, you like, resolve that, like, whatever you do doesn't hurt. Like, he's literally letting them get a, a, a better shot at his face. He's posi positioning himself to be hit by everything that the enemy can throw at him. And here's Jesus, our Redeemer, our Savior, the one who represents the Father himself. He's walking around on earth, and he's completely undoing the domain of darkness. With everything he does, he's just loving and loving and loving, and healing and miracles and multiplying food and calming storms. And he, everything that the enemy has is not strong enough to stop him from winning with love. And, and now, 
Satan is, he's in a double bind. He's thinking, I can't let this guy keep on doing what he's doing on earth, but what's going to happen if I put him down in death? Right? Jesus is literally walking through earth, baiting Satan into putting him on that cross. The place that he wanted to be for the joy that is set before him. And, and really, the enemy has no choice. He can't let Jesus keep on being like the best minister that ever lived and undoing everything that, that he's been doing for thousands of years. And so he decides, we, we just gotta, we gotta kill him. And that is the one place that Jesus was trying to get to, into the very realms of death. His love is stronger than death. He knew that the love of God inside the prison of death would be yet another earthquake opening prison doors. And he came back with the keys. That's the glory of, of, of Hebrews chapter 2. He's saying, since we shared in flesh and blood, he too shared in our flesh and blood. He became like us in every single way. So that he would disarm, so that he would take the power of him who held the power of death. So who held the power of death? The enemy, the Satan. He took, he disempowered the one who held the power of death and freed all of us who through the fear of death were held under his power. See, now none of us have to fear death. What's the worst Satan can do with us? He can kill us and send us to paradise. Hallelujah. <laughs> what now? You know what I mean? <laughs> Man, I've got a lot of just bunny trails here, and Jesus, you're so good to us. He came to give us eternal life. Okay. I want, to say, I want to say something right now that might be a wrench, but I just, I want you to just remember how much you love me. <laughs> just think, this is, this is Jeremy, love him, trust him, and if, and if, it, is, if it is a wrench that is thrown, what I, what I want you to do is take it to study, take it into like a place where you're just like meditating on it and thinking through it, but here's, here's the thing, Jesus came to save us from death, right? John 3, 16. He didn't want any of us to experience that. He wanted to give us the gift that is eternal life. There's actually no Bible verse that says the human soul is indestructible. Now, I don't, I don't want to major on this point. Whether you think that he's saving us from death or eternal conscious torment, what we can all agree on together is that we don't want to test that out. <laughs> we don't want to get to the Father <laughs> not being regenerated, not being completely made new in his love, okay? So he is saving us for sure from death. Cool? Okay. I've got a whole bunch of markers. We just got like super legit, didn't we? With a whiteboard. Okay.
throw out some adjectives for me that describe a believer. What's up? Follower. Keep them coming. Yeah, faith. What else? Yes. What else? Yes. Loving. Nice. Be nice self. Just I like these words. What else you got? Joyful. Yes. Gentle. Patient. One more time. Holy. Chosen. Sweet. Ooh. Anything else? Yes. What's that? Super loved. Beloved. Empowered. I like that. What was that? Mighty. Our God is an awesome God. Okay. Yes. I'm gonna I'm gonna hit pause for now. Because I've got two good columns. These are great adjectives to describe a believer. Can you guys describe a disciple? <laughs> do you guys do you guys feel like I just threw you for a loop? You're like, but wait a minute, I thought they were, they were the same. <laughs> Surrendered. Okay, let's pause for a second because I want to talk about. I want to start to get to the point that I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make tonight. <clears throat> now that you see that I, I had a hidden column, like up my sleeve, that you guys didn't know about, <laughs> do you feel like any of these adjectives should be over here instead of over here? No, you're right. It should be both. <laughs> Absolutely. It should be both. But do you feel like just because of the, what this word really means that, sh that some of these should be under this category? Okay, so like, probably like patient, Lord, yeah. <laughs> um, I think like sanctified, 
probably some power, joyful, gentle discipline for sure. Discipline. So let's do this. Let's cross out that one. Let's cross out these ones. These are, should be over there. Patient, nurturing, caring. Oh, yeah, deny self. Come on now. <clears throat> so a disciple literally means a pupil, a learner, someone who is disciplined. Uh, Jesus refers to his disciples as witnesses. <clears throat> And soldiers. So here's here's the real difference between believer and disciple, even though, hear me out, there really shouldn't be any disconnect. In a perfect world, someone who is this should embody all of this. But here's the key. Does that look like a gift? <laughs> let's, let's finish some of these lines. Okay. And then over here, let's do this. Does that look like a dollar sign? Faith in Jesus, we know, is a free gift, right? It's by faith. Grace, faith, free gift. It's not a work. This is not of yourself so that no man can boast. It's a free gift. So us becoming reborn sons and daughters of the living God, is a free gift. Discipleship will cost you everything. But no one enters this column until they've firmly grasped this. Because we'll never lay down everything, deny ourselves, live a true life of a disciplined pupil until we have been completely arrested by the goodness of this message that he did it for free. That we don't owe him anything. That he literally said, I wiped the slate clean. Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. How could you not follow a guy like that? How could you not just gladly give him Everything after you realize this, the sheer magnitude of this. Guys, for, for centuries, for millennia, we are going to be in heaven getting messed up by the glory of this one revelation. That he is just that good. 
So in John 8.30, Jesus talks about the difference between being a believer and a disciple. He says in John 8.30, he, he turned to all of these Jews. He, he was just speaking, and all these people who were listening to him were putting their faith in him. And he turned to all these Jews who now had faith in him, and he said, if you really hold to my teachings, you will be my disciples. So he is looking at people who have put their faith in Jesus. They're like, this is the Son of God. What he is saying is true. And hopefully they're all thinking, I want to follow him for the rest of my life. But Jesus looks at these people who have put their faith in, in, in him and says, now if you hold to my teachings, you will be my disciples. This is an important key because when we read the Bible from now on, any place where you see the requirements for being a disciple, just know that he's not talking about just simple faith. He's not talking about just being a believer. It's really possible to be a believer, to even be a disciple, and follow him no longer. It happened in John 6, 6, 6, John 6, 6, 6, 6, 66, it says, And many of his disciples turned back and followed him no longer. You guys okay out there? All right. I really want this to be good news for all of us. Okay, so Jesus' invitation to discipleship are not the same as invitations to faith. Here are some of the uh, conditions for becoming a disciple. Be willing, be willing to physically die for Christ. That's Mark 8. Deny oneself daily, sometimes to extreme degrees, Luke 9. A condition for being his disciple is to abide in his word, John 8, 31 through 32. Love Jesus more than family. Another condition for being a disciple of Christ is to carefully weigh the cost of this commitment. Is there any scripture that says that salvation comes at a cost to us, that we pay? That would completely like redefine the meaning of gift, right? If, if there is payment rendered, it is no longer a gift. We know about wages, right? For the wages of sin are, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So, we know all about wages. We were actually working for a ruthless taskmaster our whole lives before we met Jesus. We were part of a corporation called the Domain of Darkness. Whether you knew it or not, we were actually working for a usurper. There is a king, and his name is Yahweh. The, the serpent came in and usurped authority. And for thousands of years... Humans were working under the domain of darkness, including you and you and you and you and me before we knew Jesus. And as we're working for this ruthless taskmaster, what is truly horrible is that our final paycheck is death. 
the wages of our perpetuating his domain of darkness. The wages of sin is death. So we know what it's like to be working, but the gift of God is eternal. So Jesus, guys, he came along and he looked at this evil corporation to whom we were all enslaved and all working for, and our final contract, our payment was going to be death. And he said, I want all their contracts. What's it going to take? And Satan's like, well, it's death. They all earn death. And Jesus is like, I'll take death on their behalf. And he ransomed us. Whoo, guys, out of that corporation, out of that evil corporation. And no longer do we ever have to think we're going to earn death someday. No. The gift of God is eternal life. So another requirement for being a disciple of Christ to persevere in obedience, to humbly serve others, to love each other like Christ loved us, to produce evangelistic fruit, to endure persecution. Sometimes Jesus' call to discipleship included the condition of surrendering all our possessions and some of them he asked to become homeless. And none of these are requirements for salvation. I know I'm hammering on this thing, but it's really, really important that we do not pollute the pure waters of Christ's salvation with some vile pollutant of our own work. Sometimes the higher calling on our lives or the, you know, the, whatever the Lord is expecting to accomplish on planet earth through us, sometimes that actually means greater degrees of surrender, greater degrees of suffering. Who in here has ever gotten a really awesome prophetic word? And it's just like, woo, got you riled up. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. I'm going to do these amazing things. This is what God thinks about me. Huh, yes. And then like, whoo, on comes the suffering. And you're like, but Jesus. And, and the Lord's like, yeah, I told you who you were before all of that because you were going to need to remember. This is what happened to Paul. I mean, think of, think of Saul, right? He's a Hebrew of Hebrews. He is the number one student of Gamaliel. He, like, he is an incredible mind, and he, and he actually becomes a jihadist. You guys, are you guys familiar with the term jihad? You've probably heard it in regards to Islam. It's a holy war. Well, Saul was a jihadist. He waged a holy war in the name of God against believers. So believe it or not, Half of your New Testament was written by a jihadist. Pretty crazy, huh? So he gets knocked off his donkey, blinded by a resurrected Jesus. His sight gets healed. He goes into the wilderness. He's taught by the Holy Spirit. He's caught up into the third heaven. He has the, the greatness of these revelations of the mystery of Christ. 
He's, he grasps the mystery of Christ probably better than anyone else alive. And we think, man, that is amazing. Well, have you ever read what kind of life he lived? In 2 Corinthians 11, he talks about how he's been shipwrecked. Five times he's received the 40 lashes minus one. He's been beaten with rods. He's been abandoned by his own countrymen. He's been in danger in the cities, in danger in the country, in danger from his own brothers. And on top of all this, he faces the daily pressures of, of his concern for all the churches. See, Paul had this incredible encounter with God and prophetic revelation, and it was to prepare him for a really, really hard life. in here has some, actually I did this with, with Josh when you went through the, the residency. Josh, what's the name of your daughter again? Kate. Kate has your complete trust, right? She does. She loves you like crazy. She looks up to you. What if, say, um, a manipulator entered your life and you didn't know it, and this person actually got Kate to believe false things about your character. This manipulator got Kate to start to question if your intentions towards her as a father were, were really good. And what if that, because of that manipulator's manipulation, Kate for so many years battles a distrust of you as a father? Wouldn't that be the worst thing in the world? I can't think of, I've got four kids, I can't think of anything much worse than that. To have to, because of this person's influence, to have to prove my good nature to my own children again. Who was deceived in the garden? A manipulator enters the scene, gets Eve to question the good nature of her father. Gets Eve and, and Adam into this place of, of broken thinking about God. And God, just like Alexis talked about tonight, he's like, where, where are you guys? Why in the world are you hiding? See, a day of reckoning and judgment is coming where wrath is being poured out. If, who do you think our Father, Yahweh, has more wrath and rage against. Humanity who is deceived or the manipulator who did the deceiving. That's why a husband cannot be restrained in his jealousy. This is the goodness of the Father. Jesus shows up and he's... His main task is to redeem to all of humanity, redeem in our minds the image of our Father in heaven. And he's showing him, this is what the Father is like. And this is what the Father is like. And let me show you this. See how I'm loving. See how I'm kind. And he's wrapping his arms like a mother hen around his chicks. And he's, and he's showing them the deep truths of love and how to live a life of joy. I mean, Jesus, even in one of his last moments with the, the disciples, he's saying, I've told you these things so that your joy may be complete. He's trying to reintroduce us to the source of our joy. 
And he's on the cross now. And in that place, mankind is pouring out all of our rage, all of our vengeance, all of our accusation on God. And he's saying, in that moment, Father, forgive them. He's taking every bit of our anger, our accusation, our offense. He's taking every bit of our separation, our separated thinking. He's being beaten and he's just taking it saying, do you see the Father now? Do you see the Father now? And in that place where we are pouring out our rage on him, he is letting us off the hook so that in that moment, the revelation of the true heart of the Father would be released, dethroning every demonic stronghold in the mind of man and bringing us back to a place where we can confidently run towards our Father. That we would never hide from him again like Alexis was talking about. That is part of the good news. I want to pray. <laughs> I said a lot tonight. Lord, I ask that every every revelatory piece of your nature and your goodness that was talked about tonight would take root. Anything that needs to be set aside for another time, set it aside for another time. God, we just want to be completely undone by your love again. We're only good if we're wrecked by your love, God. Whew. We ask for the intoxicating waters of the good news to wash over us and bring an unshakable joy again. The joy of salvation. That the joy of the Lord is our strength. We ask that Laughter would be ours, just like the laughter of the Father. And God, I ask that this, this revelation of your, your goodness, of our salvation, of what you did for us on behalf of us, would turn us into the most lovey-dovey evangelists the world has ever seen. That when we, when we encounter people who have those accusations against you, Lord, that we would just be like <sighs> the stickiest love from heaven. I just see us walking around just loving people. And the things that we, that we say to them, the, the way that we love them becomes like these, these seeds of love that can't be dislodged. It's just, it's just contagious that they won't be able to shake away those moments when we were touched by God's love through, through us. Father, for anyone in here who hasn't tasted the joy of salvation, I ask, Father, for this to be the moment. 
for anyone in here who's never heard that the father was, was, that, was that way, was that kind, that Jesus came to do some of those things. Lord, I ask for a complete rebirth, a reformation, a reformation of all of our thoughts towards you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. We have um, nine minutes before we traditionally just close down. Um, and so in that time, <clears throat> if you have any prayer needs, or if you're even here because you need a prophetic word, you can come up. We have um, people, we have a ministry team who would love to lay hands on you, pray for you. Um, we just want to impart any kind of goodness from heaven to you tonight before you go home. If that's, if that's you, you can come up ministry team, come on up. If not, mingle about, love on each other, enjoy the rest of your evening. It's fantastic to be with you again tonight.